Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. How's the end of 2018? It is the season of last minute doing (laughs) where I feel like I'm operating on caffeine and um, the hope for things to slow down when Christmas Uh, comes around. (laughs) How about you? Yes. Yes. Same. Lots of (laughs) lots of same. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, getting through the Christmas, the holiday gauntlet. I was about to say, <laughs> I love that yeah. phrase. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward, like full steam ahead. Um, yeah, we might go visit some friends after Christmas around New Year's and I'm looking forward to that and just, yeah, you know, the end of the year, I feel like it comes on like a freight train. It's true. Although we are going to be taking a little bit of a break, at least from Kindred, so you'll have a bit more free time until we record again in January. So we'll miss you all, but we really need a break. (laughs) Yes, we do. So yeah, we're going to do questions from listeners, which we're so excited about. Thanks to everyone who submitted them. But first, we have a couple of announcements. We have a new review on Apple Podcasts, which is one of our favorite things when there's a new review, as long as it's positive. (laughs) We like reviews (laughs) on Apple Podcasts. And this one is from MT. It says, I have been listening to this podcast since it started and love it. While most topics are aimed at women, men like myself can learn a lot about the opposite sex. Katie and Ashley have crafted a podcast with the perfect balance between conversation, introspection, and information sharing. If you want to give them a try, recommend number nine, what it means to be white. It's an honest look into the racial divide in our country and how white privilege affects us all. Give a listen. You'll love it. Shout out to MT. We love the dudes that listen. Yeah, and I really love that he recommended our um, What It Means to Be White episode. That one was a really challenging one, I think, and also one of my all-time favorites. So Same. White people need to be talking about whiteness together Mm -hmm. more often. So if you haven't listened to that one, it's episode number nine. Yep. So we also want to welcome our newest patron, Sarah Cannon. We're Yay. so thankful for your support of our show. Just a reminder that we do have a Patreon account, and uh, I just found out that we are only $7 short of our monthly goal of $50, which helps us cover the cost of hosting our website and all of our audio files so that we can make this show for everyone. For free. You get to listen for free. Yes, for free. <laughs> So show us some love and help us out with a monthly contribution, and we appreciate all amounts. So you go to patreon.com slash kindreds to sign up today. Yes, thank you. So you mentioned it's our listener request episode, which we've been hyping for a couple of months now. Yeah. I'm really excited, and uh, why don't we just dive right into our questions from listeners? Let's do it. We get questions about church all the time. This is something that my friends ask me about as well. And um, we've gotten questions from listeners all about church. So here are two from patrons that ask about church. So this is the first one. Why church? I'd like to hear you consider the reasons for still believing that church matters, that it's worth the messiness that you often mention. Do you think it is? And then the second question, what do we mean when we talk about our church home or our church family? Perhaps the more important question is, when we are seeking our church home or family, what are we looking for and what do we expect? So Katie, what are your thoughts on this? These are so good. And the first two words of the first question really could be our entire podcast series. 
Why yeah. Church? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think there's even a conference called Why Church. I haven't been to it, but it's it really encapsulates a lot. And I think it's an important question to ask whether or not you're in a church. I'm just like, is church important and why? So from my perspective, what draws me to church right now is also what repels me from it. And that's community, which is a word that we throw around a lot, mostly in a positive way, but it it, is definitely challenging to be in community. I think there's something really valuable about showing up the same time on the same day every single week, more or less, with more or less the same group of people who are at least interested in big questions of life and faith. And sometimes that is really beautiful and it manifests itself in these just beautiful ways. Like when our church hosts a community vigil after an act of terrorism and brings a community together and gives them a place to grieve and unite and talk about how we're going to bring an end to violence. Or on a more lighthearted note, we have this annual Christmas breakfast where everyone brings costumes to sing the 12 days of Christmas. It's like a big deal. So those are times when community is just awesome and you just can't replicate it. Um, But then sometimes it's just awful. (laughs) Like being in community is so uncomfortable and challenging. And I think about the times when people in the church are arguing about things like how do we treat folks who sleep on our property at night? Things like that when just kind of want to walk away from the whole thing. But church is uniquely positioned to connect with people all across the lifespan in a really, um, in a way that I don't see in any other institution. That's Um, true. You know, it's like the only place that I know of uh, Mm -hmm. where folks from teeny tiny babies all the way to end of life, 80s, 90s, 100s, where where people are all together in one space. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think about how in the same week there will be a birth announcement and a, a funeral announcement from the same community. And like, there's just mm-hmm. something really profound about that, that we touch life and death and all of its stages and everything in between. And I think it helps me be mindful of both the somber and hope-filled parts of life. Uh, and I think that those are things that our culture kind of avoids at all costs, particularly mm-hmm. our mortality So being in a faith community at this stage, kind of because I'm right in the middle, right? I'm not a baby and I'm not in old age kind of reminds me of those of like the whole lifespan and what those experiences are and how we're trying to live all together. Um, The other thing I thought about is I've done so much moving around professionally, not location wise, but just shifting from job to job and trying different things. And I don't really have anything that I can say I've been doing for more than five or six years. Well, that's not true, Hmm. but maybe the activism. But there's no community that I can say, oh, I've like been there and and know the people. Um, Just done a lot of shifting around professionally. But I feel like church is potentially a place at the end of my life where I can go, you know, I've been part of this community for 50 or 60 years. And that, that there's just something really appealing about that spiritual discipline of like sticking it out through good times and bad times, that appeals to me. So that's my why church. Um, I'm curious to know what you think about that or what your experience has been. Mm. So I kind of envy your church family just a little bit. Um, Or the way that you talk about church is um, I'm a little envious maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a unique place, I'll say. Not everybody has access to that. Oh, yeah. And – 
I think also I'm in a, I have a little bit of a different perspective, but it's because I'm not, I just have complicated feelings about church right now in my life. So I don't attend, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I don't attend church regularly. So the church that I grew up in is just a few miles away from where I live. And my parents and my grandparents still attend and are very heavily involved. But after I left for college, I spent all of my 20s trying to find a new church home in my college town and in Nashville. And I tried out all the all kinds of different denominations and all kinds of different worship styles. Mm, yeah. I even went to a like a contemporary service in a skate park in Nashville. Interesting. That's so hipster. Yeah, it was super hipster. Um, I went to like big old cathedrals and I went mm-hmm. to more of the mega churches because those are all over Nashville. And, um, you know, I found some places that I really liked and I found some communities that I felt like I could be part of. But when I moved back to Mississippi, I had to sort of figure out, do I go back to my parents' church or do I find a new place of my own? And mm-hmm. I felt like I, when I um, first moved home, I went regularly with my parents again. And I just really found that I didn't feel like that church was a good fit for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I still go on important occasions or when my mom is, has a solo in the choir or something like that or a holiday. But um, I haven't really been ready to start looking for a new church home. And some of that is feeling disconnected from the Methodist faith right now as we're kind of going through um, a, a denominational exploration of um, who's allowed to be Methodist and what their <laughs> <laughs> what roles they're allowed to have and how um, yeah there's just a lot and I'm, I'm just feeling very disconnected from the Methodist denomination but I don't know that I'm fully ready to dive into another denomination yeah, altogether. that's fair feels like home in a way even if it's dysfunctional yeah well yeah there's some mm-hmm. of that and there's some still just kind of waiting to see what the denomination is is going to do mm-hmm. and what my local churches are going to do and yeah it just is hard so that's sort of where I am with it and some of it is just a little bit of being burned out on church in general and feeling a little bit alienated from Christianity, which um, is something that started to happen to me as I became more politically aware and more engaged in um, like our larger cultural conversations around politics and really seeing what the religious right has done in terms of using religion and quote family values to really drive a wedge and and divide people and to to oppress people and so I just this is something I really struggle with but the 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 bright spot in all of this is that faith plays an important role in what I do for work and so in that way I'm really fortunate to get to come into contact with many spiritual teachers in my life my um, personal and professional relationships with clergy with um, clergy from all denominations, other Christians, people of different faiths. Um, Those relationships are powerful sources of faith and healing and understanding and community and spirituality for me. So in a lot of ways, when I'm with those friends and colleagues like you, Mm -hmm. it feels like church to me. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very undefined right now, but I do hope and I am optimistic that I will find a new church home church family one day but um it's just not not the season for it right now 
And I think what you're describing about having connect spiritual connection within work, I mean, we're fortunate, you and I, that we get to have that as part of our work. Not that it's yeah. always that way, but I, I think that that is church. I don't think it's just like it. I think... I think that is the community. It just looks different from yeah. how faith communities have been organizing themselves in the U.S. for the last couple hundred years. But looking back to early Christianity, I feel like that's really how the faith started, you know, and there's a lot of movement toward home churches and these smaller groups because I think people want that yeah. intimacy feeling and they don't yeah. always feel that in a big church setting and in a building. So... I think you're still connected. It just looks different. But I understand what you mean. It would be nice to have a physical place and a defined mm-hmm. group of people that you got to see all the time. But I still, I think that however we can get fed at <laughs> different times, yeah, you know, we just kind of have to make it work. Um, and I've, I've been through seasons of searching for a church. And that's really tiring, too, to be new mm-hmm. and looking and having people either just kind of jump you because you're new and you're young or um, ignore you. Like, mm-hmm. we have a hard time welcoming folks in our faith communities. So that's always a challenge, too. Yeah, in a, like, authentic way. Yeah. I will say that my church, the first day that we visited, the person who greeted us did a really nice job. Um, probably the best I've ever seen. I mean, she came up and she just said, you know, asked us if we were new, didn't assume, and then said, here's some information. You want to know more? I'll be here. And just kind of, like, it was very smooth. And That's um, cool. And authentic and just like, here, I'm just, I'm here. Like, I just want you to know that you're welcome here. And if you have more questions, I'm here. But it wasn't pushy. And I remember mm-hmm. Matt and I afterwards just saying, that felt so nice to be to be seen, but not um, made a spectacle of. Like, sometimes you can feel in a, as, a, as a new person in a church. Oh, yeah. Like, when they, um, when the preacher actually calls everybody that's new to stand up. <laughs> In the middle of service, like that stuff makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I know it works for extreme extroverts, but anyone sure. else, anyone else, yeah, it doesn't work. I've even brought that into group fitness. Like, I don't ask people if they're new to the class because I think people don't always want to be recognized as new. So I'll just say, if you're new, interesting, um, yeah, and mm-hmm. and then it is welcoming them without pointing them out. So it's it's a tough balance in community to. Want to make sure everybody feels welcome and not singled out at the same time. It's very tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On this church, uh, churchy, churchy questions. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, in an ideal world, and you were looking for a church home and had the energy to do that, what are the qualities in a faith community that you most value would be looking for? So right now, I am less interested in like the Sunday service. Um, kind of like you mentioned earlier, like I'm really more interested in opportunities to meet with some like-minded folks who want to give back to the community. And um, I'm also interested in more of um, spiritual study. So for me, that's what um, I think would I, I'd be looking for in a in a church home would be opportunities to volunteer, connect with folks, really engage in some spiritual and biblical study and make some new friends, you know, just nice people who want to be friends and hang out and be cool. Uh, <laughs> or be nerdy together. Yeah. One thing I wanted to lift up is, um, have you looked at the hashtag Rethink Church on Instagram? I have because I have friends that participate in it. 
Yeah, me too. And it I, it piqued my interest. So if you just want a, something a little bit different and fun, uh, if you look for the hashtag Rethink Church on Instagram, there's people all over the world doing an advent photo of the day. And mm-hmm. just some of them are just doing like photos of what church means to them. And so for some of those people, it's nature. For some, it's like pictures of their family. And for others, it's pictures of the activism they're doing. So um, yeah, just... I like that hashtag and it's kind of fits me where I am. So what about you? What are you looking for in a church home? I think that being plugged into community in an active way is what appeals to me too. Um, And I I don't think that Sunday morning service or whenever your service is, is really where church happens Mm -hmm. um, because it's not what gets people. Generally, it's not what gets people to come back week after week or maybe more accurately year after year. Because even if the music is really good, you know, musicians can change. Or if you like the preaching, Mm -hmm. the preacher could change. So I think it's really Mm -hmm. about the stuff that happens before and after and during the week. Um, So the the relationships that form at coffee hour or going to lunch afterwards or theology on tap or service project of some kind. So relationships are definitely super important to me and kind of what keep me going back uh, are like just meeting good people. But the, the thing that really stands out to me, and I've thought about this a lot because I really want Samantha to be exposed to church. And so she now refuses to go. I wouldn't say she refuses. She insists on coming with me to services on Sunday, which it's really hard to say no to your child if they want to go to church. So um, she sits with me usually in the front because that's where she wants to sit. And it's so stressful because she's four and she's a wiggle worm and (laughs) doesn't (laughs) like... Asking adults to be quiet and sit still for an hour is a lot. Uh, yeah. So asking a four-year-old to do that, and sometimes it's more like an hour and 20 minutes, is So she won't go to children's church, is what you're saying? Right. She will not. Ah. So she wants to be in there. But I, um, first of all, everybody who sits around us is super gracious about it. And everyone's That's like, cool. we've all been there. Like, this is how you learn. Like, don't worry about it. It stresses me out because I want her to be behave, but... Yeah. What I love about that, with all the stress, what makes it worth it, is that she gets to see women, women of color, LGBTQ folks in the pulpit almost mm. every Sunday. That's and awesome. Yeah. And like, for me, that's that's worth it because even if she doesn't understand all of the words, I mean, she'll increasingly understand more. But I want her to see that. And then I want her to have that connection and relationship with the folks in the pulpit. So most Sundays, our pastor Nancy is preaching and she loves Sammy. Um, She's just a very personable, loving person. So Sam sees her in the pulpit and then knows like Pastor Nancy is going to give me a hug and tell me how much she likes my big puffy pink dress I'm wearing. Like, I just want her to have that affirmation, you know, and to see someone who's like her in the pulpit. I didn't have that. We've talked about women preachers before and growing up and I never saw that so I just want it to be normal for her yeah um and for her to feel like her gender identity for now anyway is affirmed and is shows up in the leadership of the church so for me like that's even on the Sundays when I just would rather not go because I just don't feel like driving and getting dressed and all that stuff it's knowing that Sam is going to have that model in front of her week to week that it's just worth dragging us out of the house and and getting there on Sundays. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. 
So should we tackle our next set of questions? Absolutely. All right. So these are fun. These deal with friendship. In episode 23, Friendship in Adulthood, we tackled making and maintaining friendships as we get older, but we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time to address something important that a lot of you have asked us about, which is friendships or relationships with people who challenge us. So Mm -hmm. here are two questions from listeners about this. I'd like your take on the challenges of being a good friend when each may not agree on everything, like politics, religion, raising kids, etc. Do we choose friends just like us, or do opposites attract? And then we got another question that came in the form of an email, and um, we have a little more to say about this one as well. But here's the second question. I wonder if you all have considered or would be willing to interview a politically conservative white woman on your podcast. It is this very population that I have the most confusion about, and as a liberal white woman, it is this population that I want to be angry with almost as much as I am angry with heteronormative, able-bodied white men. I suspect that if I heard from the heart of a conservative white woman, I might have more empathy and understanding of their contribution to our current political climate. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah. When that, when that email came in, it, it was one of those moments where I sat down and I started typing and then realized I really need to sit with this. And also I need to talk with Ashley because we're responding as a as a duo mm-hmm. uh, because my first inclination is like, absolutely not. We're not going to privilege uh, a white woman's voice, uh, a conservative white woman's voice on this podcast and probably was not going to respond with the kind of compassion that we preach on this show and that I would want. So I sat with it for a while and Ashley and I had a long conversation about it, about what we wanted to say. And so the I'll share what I emailed our listener. So this is from the email I sent back. While we support sharing diverse viewpoints and applaud your desire for more empathy across lines of differences, Ashley and I are not inclined to create more space for conservative white women to voice their perspectives. They have access to platforms, publishing houses and TV in ways that other marginalized folks do not. We can easily understand their logic, fear, and worldviews because they have the ability to share them. Our hope with Kindreds is to create spaces for folks who don't. And and I we stand by that. Um, you know, I think it's a really great, great question. I think we all ought to seek to be more understanding of one another instead of mm-hmm. putting up you know, dividers between us and just assuming that anyone who doesn't agree with us is um, is the enemy. I don't think that that is useful. But mm-hmm. when it comes to creating space for that viewpoint to be expressed, uh, we just felt like that wouldn't be a very useful strategy for us. And we even talked about, like, Ashley and I both have people in our lives who are more conservative, but w- would we want to jeopardize that relationship by asking them to come right. on the show and basically have a debate with us? So um, we just don't think that that's super useful. And we would rather lift up the voices of the guests that we've had on the show, um, a lot of whom have platforms, but whose platforms we want to amplify. And um, I'll just say that this listener was so gracious Mm -hmm. in her reply to this email because I could see someone kind of pushing back in a defensive way, but she was really great. And we even asked her, could we share this on the podcast? And she said, absolutely. So just want to appreciate that really um, compassionate exchange, an honest exchange that we had back and forth, because that's how we get to greater levels of understanding with each other. Absolutely. And I, I really, 
understood, I felt like I understood the feelings behind that question. So first of all, that question came on the heels of the Kavanaugh confirmation and then Mm -hmm. our, right, was it right after the election or right before I can't it remember. It was very near. It was in, in the middle of midterm elections. There was season. a lot going on that there was, was upsetting. There was a lot <laughs> going on. And just trying to process this is so heavy and and hard. And one of the things that this listener also mentioned in her email to us was that she lives in a liberal bubble. Mm-hmm. And that was the part of the email I think that you and I spent some time talking about like and what why we linked it to this other question about friendships across um across a challenging divide or viewpoint because we've talked about this a little bit in our um making friendships in adulthood episode and you talked about it specifically regarding the friendships that you formed with folks who work or who work at the y or mm-hmm. go to the y mm-hmm. where you teach yeah and um I've been thinking a lot about being in relationship with people who don't think like me. And um, ever since we got that email, especially. And last week, I came across an article that was published in The Guardian in October. And it's called The White Southerners Who Changed Their Views on Racism. Mm. And I want to share this article. Yeah, because it, um, it profiles... Mississippians specifically, and um, it focuses on Mississippians who once held white supremacist views that eventually evolved over time, and the article explored how they were able to to come to different conclusions, how they were able to learn and open their mind, and what struck me, uh, the, the theme, the common theme in all of their stories was relationships. Yes were the catalyst mm-hmm, for um, for them changing their minds, meeting new people, becoming friends first, then finding out about their po- beliefs and their viewpoints, developing authentic relationships, and learning over time. And in every one of these cases, it was a gradual process that was built on trust. Yep. And one of the people in the article was changed by friends she made in college. She went to the same college I did. And she met some liberal students who eventually became her close friends and changed her mind. And um, one person in the article was changed by someone that he knew from high school who um, he didn't agree with. But this person invited him into conversation about the topic of the Mississippi state flag, which has the Confederate symbol on it. And they were in disagreement over that. And she was able to explain to him why it was hurtful. And he's now a, a proponent of changing the flag. And so um, I want I, we're going to link this article in the show notes. It's a really fascinating article. And it also, I want to mention that a friend of mine is also quoted in that article, Leah Campbell. She is the director of the Mississippi Rising Coalition, which is working to change the state flag and get the get all the confederate symbolism off the state flag um and they are doing some racial justice work as well um and so they're just a a great organization so we'll link to the mississippi rising coalition as well i know they could always use some more support donations but in, in the course of thinking about this i want to also make clear that we are not suggesting that someone who is part of a vulnerable or marginalized group go that extra mile to make friends with people who 
are part of a group that oppress them or threaten their safety. This makes me think a lot about privilege. When it comes to choosing who we interact with, there's a lot of privilege involved in that decision-making process. And for me, I think it's important for people with a lot of social capital, like white privilege, to use that capital in the service of justice when we can. So that means using the tools we have, like the ability to make friends with other white people. It's important for people with privilege to use that privilege for change. And that might look like making friends with the conservative person at church or at work or at the YMCA with the understanding that authentic relationships are what is going to influence people's hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we are living in a liberal bubble, we might want to think about the privilege inherent in that as well. It's a privilege to surround yourself with people who think like you. And there are a lot of us that don't have that ability. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. What you shared was so good. And something occurred to me as you were saying that because... When when we change viewpoints, and I don't know how you identify I me, mean, I was very much a conservative person growing up in Southeast Georgia, and now identify as much more progressive than I used to. When that transformation happens, that often means that people create, there is now tension within the community that they currently have, whether it's mm-hmm. with their families, their churches, or their faith communities, like the folks that they interact with. And we can't expect folks to to transform their ideas without them seeing the relationships that are possible to folks who hold those views. Like they have to have a place yeah. to go and be and be safe and process these things. So that almost is another level of this, which is building authentic relationships. You're not going in trying to convert the person. Right. But just have thoughtful conversations and try to come to understanding. But as they shift they're going to need support from you and from the people that you know who hold those viewpoints too. We can't just expect people to change radically and then have nowhere to land because that kind of isolation could be so debilitating for people and so depressing. So Mm -hmm. I think that too is like, you've got to be authentic in that relationship so that when, if and when they change their view, like you're there to catch them and deal with their grief and yeah. um and the and the tension that it might create in their faith communities like you've got to help them bridge to a new place uh so it does have to be really authentic um and i don't know about you but i completely agree with the thrust of that article which is when i think about positions i've changed on sometimes it was in part something i read but it was mostly because of the people who were patient enough to journey alongside me and yep. um and ask me thoughtful questions, but also listen to my to my viewpoints and not mm-hmm. um, treat them like they were stupid. Mm-hmm. These questions about friendship are so important, and these questions about relationship are so important. And that's one of the one of the things I'm finding in work and in life that, um, you know, especially when we're you and I talk a lot about working for justice and creating a more just world, and the way that that the way that that really happens is through building trust and forming relationships and mm-hmm. moving that ball forward. And it's the long game. That's and right. That is where the relationships really come into play. It's the long game. And I think, you know, we're in a particularly divisive and divided time right now. And it's heartbreaking and frustrating and scary and sad for me. Um, and I don't always know where to go with it. But when I think when I get smaller 
in my scope and think about the people in my life who I love and respect and and have fun with and think about and miss and shop for and all all of those small interactions um that's where that's I don't know for me that's the important stuff and that's that's where the work happens I guess mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about the performance of activism and advocacy yeah. and how for me that has really changed and it it doesn't look as I don't want to say abrasive, but I'll just say abrasive as it used to be, or I felt really compelled to take a stand and broadcast it in a very public way. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think in this stage of life and where I am and who I have access to in my in my life, it's just a lot more gentle. And I think that there's a time and place for both and just yes. being cognizant of what is going to be, what am I being called to do in this moment and with this person? And if I post this thing is alienating someone worth it? Like, it's a question to ask instead of just assuming yeah. it's good to to post something on your Facebook feed or, or whatever or say this thing. Like, think about the impact it's going to have. And and it, is it worth it? And maybe it will be and maybe it won't be. But I think being really discerning about the way in which we engage these really tough issues, um, it's worth being prayerful about. That's not a word I use much, but I think it's an area where it's, like, really good to discern what you're being called to do in that moment. I agree. And something that has helped me in um, just a, a practical tip, I guess, when I have a relationship with somebody that I need to stay healthy and I don't always agree with the things they post on social media, it has been helpful to me to just unfollow that person. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know what they're posting on social media. I don't need to be engaged with that facet of their life. Um, because all that does is trigger me, make me upset. Right. Um, get into an t- argument. Yes. Get into an argument. And so, you know, and I, this is mostly members of my family. <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. Um, I need to still be able to have relationships with those people. And it's just better for me to not know what they're saying on social media. It's just right. healthier. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that you're not, you don't still hold your viewpoints or you're right. a bad advocate. Because you don't engage. But it's just like knowing this is not going to be a good use of my energy. And all it's going to do is alienate me from this person I care about. And that doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah. And social media, what we share on social media is just one small bit of who we are as a whole person. And it's one very tiny glimpse into our humanity. And so um, I think it's really easy to crystallize someone into their social media presence. And direct your energy toward that when um and then be kind of like walled off to all the other parts of who they are as human beings <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's just been something that's been helpful for me especially when they're when the media is really drumming up when when things are really happening um or when there's a news cycle that is particularly difficult um it's just better for me to not know what other people are saying <laughs> so yeah, i don't I'm, know i'm with you I'm sure there are people who would disagree with us on this, but this is what what I believe in my life. Yeah, feel free to push back. I mean, I would be yeah. really interested in other people's perspectives. You you can send us an email, team at kindredspodcast.com, and we would love to hear your thoughts. We could definitely lift them up on the show or just have a private exchange Yeah, how you're navigating this. Um, so we've got one more question from a listener that's holiday themed, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's fun. The question is, what are you all doing for Advent this year? 
A friend emailed me yesterday remembering the year she was pregnant at Christmas being an especially poignant season of waiting. She drew parallels to some of the waiting happening in my life right now. I'd love to use an Advent-specific devotional, either one that really highlights the waiting or one that pushes my thinking. Any suggestions? So I have one, and then I know you've got a couple to share as well. This one is called Angels We Have Heard on High. It's a seven-day devotional by a friend of mine. Uh, She's a Mississippi clergy person named Reverend Elizabeth Henry. And you can find this devotional on the Our Bible app. Oh, awesome. And uh, to toot my own horn, because I'm going to do that. I've, I've written a couple of short devotionals looking at the maternal health theme with Mary. And I wrote them a while ago, but they might still be relevant. So if you just want something quick... Uh, one's called Silent Night, Holy Night, Reflections on Mother and Child, and that was for or- World Vision. And then another one was for the Journal of Feminist Studies and Religion called Poor, Young, and Pregnant Christmas Meditations on Maternal Health. And they're just really short. So we'll link to those in the show notes. But also, the Our Bible app has a number of Advent studies that you can read for free. So go check those out. I think you'll be able to find one that fits what you're what you're looking for. Yeah. And you know, I need to send Our Bible app an email because... <laughs> They were supposed to add kindreds to their podcast library a while ago, and I don't think it's up yet. So I want to check on that and find out what's out. And then as soon as we know, we will let you all know. Yes, because they're getting free advertising on our show. Yeah, a lot of it. We <laughs> love them. I mean, honestly, it's a good. Well, we app. love their stuff, but yes, yeah, we would love some. We would love some love back. That would <laughs> That's be great. true. Okay, I wanted to end with a question for you. Yes. Which is, what has been your favorite Kindred's moment or episode of 2018? So this was a really difficult thing to think about. I love all our, like all of our episodes have a special little place in my heart. Oh. <laughs> I really loved getting to listen to the interviews that you did while I was on maternity leave. Just because of the variety of guests we were able to feature and they all had such a incredible insights to offer but my my two favorites of those episodes were the ones you did with Cindy Brandt and Ashley Easter and um, I actually just picked up I think Cindy Brandt recommended this book in during that episode uh, Raising White Kids I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. she talked about this book that's where I heard about it and I just picked it up and um, I'm reading it now and I'll report back once I finish but right now it's really good and then I just loved Ashley Easter's story of um the quiverful movement and growing up fundamentalist and how she came out of that and i just thought it was just really interesting and just appreciate all the wisdom that all of our guests shared but especially those two i agree those are really good just one quick thing on ashley easter i don't think i can share the details but she's got some really baller stuff going on right now and when i am able to share more We'll do an update because, y'all, she is like, she is in the thick of it, like helping people get out of really difficult situations. So um, I will share more as I'm able, but just want to lift that up. So if you haven't listened to that, go, I can't remember the name, the number, but we'll, we'll link to it. Yeah, go back and listen to that. So I love all of them too, but I think my favorite one in terms of our exchange was episode 20 on, I think it's when sorry doesn't cut it. When sorry you're mad doesn't cut it. When sorry you're mad doesn't cut it, which you came up with the title, which is brilliant. Um, Because it was, so one, so good to be back with you because I just missed recording during your time. But I also feel like we really unearthed some important themes around asking for forgiveness and how wrong we get it uh, as parents, as people in church, and, and offered something different for people to do. 
And um, I've carried it with me ever since, just thinking about the role of apologizing and um, continue to apologize to my child <laughs> for <laughs> when I lose it. Um, but I just thought that one was really was really good and kind of um, a way for us to think through our own pain around that and offer something different. So hopefully folks, you know, will learn from that and, and do it better in the future. That's awesome. I loved that one, too. Yeah. So... What are we reading and listening to? Oh, so many things. I, yeah. I couldn't choose. So I picked two things, if that's okay. Oh, that's fine with me. So for reading, I just finished this book recommended to me. It was written, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago called See Me Naked, Stories of Sexual Exile in American Christianity by Amy Frycombe. I love that title, by it's the way. So, oh, it's so good. And in the last chapter, or her in her um, conclusion, she talks about posing uh, nude for photos in this church. It's so good. Like the theme is just beautifully done. Uh, And I feel like I've read everything about the church and sex and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it I think you have too. Right? Like there's a certain (laughs) amount of just like, oh, been there, done that. But she writes so beautifully and each chapter is about the journey of a particular person navigating the struggle to navigate their faith and their sexuality. Hmm. And in almost every instance, the person is so earnest. Like I could relate to that so much. This that earnest, like I want to be good. I want to follow the rules. And then life happens. Life happens. And then they can't figure out a way to navigate these two things. And there's so much pain and dysfunction that happens, not just for their sexuality, but like their whole bodies. It's just there's so much repression, uh, but there's also these glimmers of hope that she brings in. And I don't know. It's just really, really beautifully written um, and unusually so. So if you're looking for something that d- deals with the issues around purity or sexuality, I really recommend it because it's really readable, even though the subject is really tough. Hmm. She's just a beautiful writer. So that's See Me Naked by Amy Freikholm. And then my other podcast that I wanted to talk about. This is uh-huh. so good, y'all. Oh, my gosh. It's called The Dream. Yes. And have you listened to this or yes. heard of it? Oh, my gosh. Like, when it comes out on my podcast thing, I'm like, I got to stop what I'm doing and listen to it. It's so good. <laughs> it just finished. I just listened to the last episode of season yep. one about multi-level marketing companies. So yep. we're talking about, like, Amway, and we're talking about LuLaRoe, and we're talking about Mary Kay, Mary Kay, all of the direct sales companies. It's hosted by this woman named Jane Marie, who grew up in a small town, I think in Michigan, where these yeah. MLMs are everywhere. And so they do this amazing job of diving into the history, like the first MLM and the religious connection with a lot of them, and who the political players were that have protected them from lawsuits, um, from being called pyramid schemes specifically. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they're all like in every single one, there's like rewards and punishments. It's not unlike a religious community. Like if you Mm -hmm. fail, it's your fault. But we don't actually give you the tools to do well. Um, So there's actually a lot of parallels to purity culture. So uh, it's really, really, really good. And just... If you have ever been involved with an MLM and had a bad experience, I think you'll find it very cathartic. Um, yeah. I'm sure we've got folks who are participating in them and we're not uh, here to shame you. 
Um, but it is a really good look at like why it's so hard for folks to make money um, if you're at the bottom level, which is how folks enter the system and how people at the top benefit from that. And it's really unethical. So it's really good to listen to. I don't know. What did you think of it so far? I was really struck by the parallels between prosperity gospel and the way that multi-level marketing talks about success and failure. Um, That was, I think, the part that was the most compelling to me. Um, And just, uh, yeah, I I loved the whole thing. Um, It definitely, like the the creators of the podcast definitely had a perspective. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's that's true. But what was what was I think a challenge for them is that uh, multi-level marketing companies are notoriously um, closed off to media. They uh-huh. they requested comments, interviews, rebuttals to everything that they put out, and they did not get anything. And so um, until the very last episode, where the communications guy from the um, the lobbying arm of the oh direct my sales gosh. association or whatever where he comes you will on go insane listening to this guy oh my god the double speak man that was yeah it's tough <laughs> talent it was tough. i wonder how yeah. much money gets paid like probably as a lobbyist a lot. it's yeah okay oh you know it's a lot oh he does yeah. a he does a job really well he earns that money that's yeah he sure. does yeah he does <laughs> yeah it was fascinating it was really fascinating i can't wait to see what they do with season two because she did say that it's not going to be about multi-level marketing uh, in the future. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what the dream does next season. But I, I did really enjoy it. Yeah. But just be prepared to want to like punch yeah. a punching bag or something yeah. while you listen to it. It will infuriate you. Yeah. You do get mad. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I want to share. I've been holding on to this book for a while, but I keep coming up with other things to share that are more like on topic of what we're talking about. Uh, so this is my favorite book from this year. It's called Homegoing by, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this name. I apologize, but I think it's Yaa Gayasi. This book has stayed with me. I read it while I was on maternity leave, so early early this year, and it just stayed with me. Um, It begins in West Africa, and the book follows the the progeny of two sisters who were separated. One was sold into slavery and went to America and the other stayed in Africa. And each chapter is about a member of the next generation of their lineages until it gets to present day. And Mm. it reads like a narrative family tree. It's a challenging book. At times it's violent. It's also incredibly powerful and I haven't had an emotional response to a book like like this one in a really long time. Some of that was probably like, you know, postpartum hormones and stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I um, it was just beautiful. It's a, it was a debut novel as well, which is just incredible because it was so good. Um, so that is Homegoing by Yaa Gayasi. I highly recommend it. Oh, and... I guess we don't really have a kindreds of the moment today because we just want to thank all of the folks who wrote in with questions and mm-hmm. comments, everybody who's reviewed our podcast this year. Like all of you are our kindreds of the moment. So we yes, thank we're you grateful all. for you. And mm-hmm. it's been fun to see our audience grow. So if you're newer to the podcast, we're so grateful for you. And if you've been with us since the beginning, 
like our friends <laughs> and family <laughs> <back> to listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you too. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for Kindreds in 2018. We will be back after a short break in January. We'll be back in February with a brand new episode topic to be determined. So stay tuned. Yeah. We'll talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 